good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 1. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, truly help us to see you. Open up our eyes, illuminate our hearts, Father God. Give us understanding and help us to live what we understand and to know that life is only in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read the first four verses. It said, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath. This is the opening of what we know to be the Ten Commandments. And the first two commandments said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the earth, that is in the heavens. So this is a prohib <clears throat> this is something that God is prohibiting us from doing, a prohibition. That God has this concept of himself which restrict us from making anything to represent or to show us who God is. And as I'm, I was thinking about this, we live in a world, we live in a culture where well, most of us would say idolatry, like we read it in the Bible, is dead and gone. It's like, oh, it's over with. You don't see too many people bound down to statues. You don't see too many people with wood, stones, or all those type of things in their house. So we generally brush over this commandment, and we think this only applies to the Hindus and the Buddhists. But the thing that, 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 that captures me, one old great preacher said a long time ago, and it always stuck with me. He said he realized that this commandment is, was violated in his heart, in his life, always. Because he didn't make no statue of God. He didn't formulate any stone of God. But he had conceptions of God that he worshipped that did not reflect the biblical God as revealed. And I thought about that. So he had a false understanding of who God was. And he worshipped that God. And he ascribed to it the name of the true God. And he said God convicted him about it and showed him that you are breaking the second commandment. You ain't molding nothing. You ain't carving nothing. But you have crafted a God in your mind of your own understanding according to your own likeness that looked like something that is familiar to you. And that you call God. And so as I think about this, I weary that we may journey down the same path that he went down. And the place that I most see it is that when we talk about the nature of the son, Jesus, when we try to understand his love, when we try to understand his compassion, when we try to understand grace and mercy, 
we begin to develop concepts of God that does not come from the Bible. And the second place I see this most often is in the understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And as we, we talked about, one of the things that Jesus promised that he was going to do, that he said he was going to do, and one of those he said he would send us another comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to begin to talk about. Who is this Holy Spirit? And how can we know him? But today we're going to be real simple and very, very simple and plain and complex. Not that complex. And I only got one goal in mind. And that is try to understand, is the Holy Spirit truly a person? Is he really a person? Because there's some ideas and there's some teachings that the Holy Spirit is an emanation from God. He's a force. He's a power that God gives us that we have access to. And that you got to move him and use him the correct way. But when Jesus, let's look at what we left off with Jesus talking last week in John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 7, the words of Jesus. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Well, this is Jesus, and it's guaranteed that he's going to send the Comforter. Now, what Jesus does in here is what sent me down this road and hearing all these fools talking about this power, this force of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus referred to him in verse seven. He said, when I send him to you. When he is come, he will reprove. So Jesus began talking about this comforter. He take the abstract idea of an advocate. And he begins to refer to him as a him, a he. And begin to use personal pronouns to refer to this comforter. But the question still remains, is he truly a person? And the way we're going to go about this is just take some attributes of personality, some things that, 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 that shows that personality exists and see does the Bible ascribe those type of attributes to the spirit of God. And the first thing we're going to look at is emotion. We're going to break them down in these ways. Persons, people, personalities, they express motion, emotion. They have will, which means they make decisions, they choose, they do. They have intellect, understanding, they reason. And they have communication. So those are the four aspects of personality we're going to talk about. Emotion, will, intellect, and communication. So let's start with emotion. Go to Isaiah chapter 63. Then we're going to end it with trying to understand why is this important, that we understand that the spirit is a person. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10. I'm going to start reading at verse 9. Saying, all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. It's talking about when God leading the people out of the, 
in the Exodus, out of Egypt, throughout the wilderness. But it says they rebelled against him. He sent the angel of his presence with them. But it said they rebelled against him and they vexed his spirit. That word vexed is words that we see they exasperated. They greeted. They frustrated the spirit of God. So the spirit in this context, when leading the people, they did things and they lived in a way that brought frustration, that brought grief to the spirit of God. So the spirit got a little upset with those people. Then he says, because they vexed him, because they grieved him, God turned to be their enemy. That's a little deep. So it's possible for us to relate to the spirit in a way that creates exhaustion, that creates frustration, that creates grief or hardship in the spirit, which caused God to turn to be our enemy. But the main point I want to show you is that the spirit has person. He has emotions. He feels. Things can hurt him. Things can grieve him. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. They vex the spirit of God. And Paul, with this same understanding of the spirit, he gives us a warning. This is like a drive-by scripture. He throw it in with little to no context. Ephesians chapter 29, it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So he's given all these commands. If you read chapter 4, he just starts bullet-pointing things. Stop lying. Put on the new man. Love. Put away bitterness. Then in the midst of that list, he said, and grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So Paul had this understanding that it's possible for us to do things that vexes, that grieves, that cause sorrow, that cause pain to the Holy Spirit of God. So if he can hurt, if he can feel, if he can get frustrated, if he can become angry, that shows you that he has emotion, that he is a person. That he's not just a distant force, that he's not just some power, some emanation from God, just something that we feel or experience in time of praise and worship when we pray, but this is a real person. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. Start reading at 28. Hebrews 10, 28. In 29, said he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be brought thought worthy of who have trodden under the foot the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and have done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So Hebrews is giving this stern warning. For willful sin. It's like the people who was under Moses' law. When they disobeyed Moses' law, it said they died without mercy. At the mouth of two or three witnesses. That's 1028. It said two or three witnesses could condemn them to the point where they received no mercy just for disobeying Moses' law. Then he amps it up. He said, how much of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall ye be thought worthy of? So if they can die without mercy at the mouth of two or three witnesses because they disobeyed Moses, how much more shall you be thought worthy of 
said, when you trodden underfoot the Son of God, so when you trample on the Son of God, referring to Jesus, and counted the blood of the covenant, the blood that Jesus poured out to bring us into the covenant with God, you counted it as an unholy thing, and it said, done despite unto the Spirit of grace. That done despite, some of your translations might say, insulted the Spirit of grace. It's like you act or you refer to him in such a way that you disdain him, that you treat him in a way that is disrespectful. It's like, how much sore punishment would you be thought worthy of? But the idea I want to point out is that the Spirit of God can be disrespected. It can be insulted. So he can be grieved. He can be angered. He can be vexed. He can be disrespected. You can insult him. This shows you that he has emotions, that he feels, that he relates because he is a person. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? So when we think about the Spirit of God, Let's not get this idea of a power, of a feeling, of an emotion. But when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you are coming into relationship with a real person. And when you live with the Spirit of God in you, you are living and operating with a real person within you. The Spirit of God, the presence of God, is the person of God dwelling within you. So the things that we do, the thoughts that we have, the way we relate, the way we connect can cause pain, can cause discomfort. It can grieve him. It can insult him. He can be disrespected. So we have to keep that in mind. There's never a time when we are alone. But don't think about it. It's God in the distance. He can see me and he know. And one day I'm going to have to account for it. That's true. But if you are a Christian, there's a God that is present, who has thoughts, who has feelings, who has emotions about the things that you're doing because he's connected with it. You, you, you get what I'm saying? Because he has feelings. So the spirit of God that dwells within us is a real person who has real feelings, who have real emotions that can be hurt, that can be disrespected, that can be grieved. Jesus in Matthew 12 warned the people, don't blaspheme the spirit of God. So you can speak against him. Because he is a real person. Are you with me? We got that. Let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Yeah, Romans chapter 8. Verse 26. Romans 8, 26. So likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the spirit itself making intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. For he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the spirit makes intercession. Go to 1 Corinthians 2, 9. We're going to tie these two together. Said, but it is, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him, in him. Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. 
So it's got this idea in Romans chapter 8. It talks about the spirit searching the heart for it knoweth the mind of the spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 2, it talks about no man knoweth the things of God, but the spirit of God. And when it talks about the spirit knoweth, the idea is that the spirit has understanding. So that word know there means to, to grasp, to understand, to discern the things of God. So the spirit understands, he discerns the things of God, and he relates that information to us. So now we know the things of God because the spirit has revealed them to us. But this shows us that the spirit has intellect. It's not just a force full of information, but he knows, he understands that there's reason, there's rationale within the spirit of God. So the spirit has feelings. The spirit has understanding. He has knowledge because he knows the things of God. He understands them. He comprehends them. You understand what I'm saying? That it's not just that the spirit got information like a computer. Like Google, you mash the little button and you Google and ask whatever question. Then it just runs to you everything that's downloaded in the database. But the spirit itself, he understands these things. The spirit comprehends the things so that when you gain information from the spirit, he can relay it to you. He can teach it to you because he understands it. That's why John in first John chapter two said we have no need that a man teach you, but the anointing that we have received teaches us all things because he has understanding and the ability to teach is the ability to take information and dissect it to a place to where the people you were giving it to can understand it. But the only way to truly do that is you have to understand it yourself. You get what I'm saying? Nehemiah, I think it's chapter 9, verse 20, talks about God gave the, the children of Israel in the wilderness his good spirit to instruct them. So the spirit of God was given to the children of Israel to instruct them. Not just give information, not just relay big facts, but to teach, to guide. To lead. That's what Jesus said. He said, the spirit I give you, the comforter, when he comes, he shall lead you and guide you into all truth. So he's going to be able to take you where you are and get you to the place where you need to be. Take you from your lack of understanding and get you to the place of understanding because he understands, he knows, he has reason, he has intellect. He can see, he can discern, he can understand because he is a real person. You understand what I'm saying? The spirit has emotions. The spirit has an intellect. He teaches, he guides, he leads because he is a real person, not just a force, not just a power, not just some emotion or emanation from God, but a real person. Y'all got me. Let's go to uh, Acts. Acts chapter 2. No, Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. So we're going to run these real quick. Acts 13, verse 2. It says, They ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost says, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Simple verse says, They ministered and fasted. It's talking about the disciples. They're getting together. They're praying and they're fasting. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me. Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. So the Holy Ghost wanted Barnabas and Saul to be separated. And they would see, he said, separate to me. 
So the Holy Ghost made a decision there. Y'all see that? He decided to separate Barnabas and Paul. We're going to blend all these together. First Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. Go back up to verse 7. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It said, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these work it that one and the self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So it's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And it says, Verse 7 said, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now, this, this is a side point. I just want to point it out. So when he's beginning to describe these gifts, notice what he called them. He said the manifestation of the Spirit. And that's the definition of the working of the spiritual gifts. is a manifestation of the Spirit. So anytime you see prophecy, anytime you see healing, Anytime you see tongues or any of those gifts, what you shouldn't recognize is that all that is is the gifts. I mean, the spirit himself operating through. He's revealing himself. This gifts of God is a manifestation of God. Y'all get what I'm saying? It's not some distant or distinct, some separate from God, but it's a manifestation of God himself. That's what Paul said. The manifestations of the spirit. Work it with all. So prophecy is not something I can get from God that works independently of God that is detached from him, but it's a manifestation of God through me. In every gift, that's what it is. So we don't long for something distinct. We long for God himself and we long to be in a position to where God can work through us. That's our desire when we seek, when we search, when we long for giftings, when we long for God. We want to see a manifestation of God, a revelation of himself working and operating in this earth. That, that makes sense to you. That ain't what I'm supposed to be talking about. But that always stick out to me when, <laughs> when I look at it. But at the end, when he run through all these gifts, in verse 11, he said, But these, all these work it that one in the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he would. As he wills. So the spirit decides. There's no formula you can use. There's no tricks you can learn. The spirit decides who gets what gifts. That makes sense to you. The spirit, he just, he just give them out as he wills. But the point I want to point out is that the spirit has a will. He chooses. He has volition. He makes choices. He makes decisions, which means he is a person. That means there's some things he likes. There's some things he don't like. There's some things he's going to do. There's some things he ain't going to do because he's not a power. He's not a force. He's not an energy. He's not emotions, but he's a real person. So he can get aggrieved. He can be hurt. He can be disrespected. He has understanding. He has knowledge. And he has a will. He chooses. He decides to do and he decides to operate. That's why Paul, when he, in this long, beautiful chapter, when he gets towards the end, 
he makes this statement. He said, but you covet earnestly the best gifts. You desire them. Now, the spirit gives them as he wills. But you can desire the best ones, means you can want them. And what do you do when you want something that somebody else has power over? Yeah, you ask them. So you have a desire for something that somebody else has power over. They control whether or not you get it, whether or not you don't get it. Who has it, when it's used, how it's used. The only way that you can get it is to ask that person and they decide to give it to you. Which means that when people try to give you tricks and formulas how to cultivate or to manipulate some type of anointing, what you can pay for, or any of this other type of stuff, that's a manifestation to you that they are liars. Because the spirit is not something that can be bought and sold. The spirit is not something that we have control over. The spirit is not something that, that, that we can manipulate or move and make do what we want him to do. Because he's a person. So when we seek God, we're seeking after a person who has a will. Ain't no tricks. Ain't no seven secrets. Ain't no hidden keys to nothing. This is a real person. Are you understanding what I'm saying? See, I'm supposed to say this for the end. Well, let's just think about this. Let's pause here for a second. Let's think about this for a minute. Now, spirit is a person. And since the spirit is a person, there's a couple of type of people that we see on the planet. What I mean now is there's mature people and there's immature people. There's wise people and there's dumb people. Now, give you a scenario. Help me out a little bit. Which one of these is the mature person? All right. Got two people. Neither one of them wants to dance. Now one of them wants to dance. You go to the first one. Everybody try to amp them up to get them to dance. Nope, I'm not going to do it. They play his favorite song. Nope, I'm not going to do it. Everybody in the crowd get around him. They get the hyping and yelling his name. I ain't dancing today. But then you got the other one. He said, man, I don't feel like dancing today. A little bit tired, back hurting. I, I'm not going to do it. Then they get to yelling his name. <laughs> he started getting crunk. He feel it. Legs get to move. <laughs> and next thing you know, he full out break dancing. Because he just got so excited and lost control. And they just amped him up. He got crunk. Then afterwards, like, man, I told you I wasn't supposed to be dancing. My back hurt. I'm tired. Y'all to mess me up. Now, what's one of the most mature person? First one, I'd say. The first one. Because he could not be manipulated into doing what he said he wasn't going to do. That makes sense. But we have an idea of the Holy Spirit like the second person. Like we can be everything that the Spirit tell us not to be. And we can do everything that he told us not to do. But we get the right mood. Boom. Spirit going to start working and doing some things. 
we, we, we play the right chord. We strum the right chords on the guitar. We put the lights at exactly the right places where the spirit like them. And no matter what we got going on, we know the spirit finna show up because we didn't set the atmosphere for. And now it's to a place where we have people who are living in open sin, open rebellion against God, calling themselves leaders and bishops and teachers of churches, anointed men of God, but enough ushering people into the presence of the Spirit. That, that perplexes me. Because the Spirit is a real person. He's not a power. He's not a force. You cannot manipulate him. And you cannot live in open rebellion against the Spirit. Do everything that the Spirit told you not to do. And just because you play the right songs at the right time, at the right tempo, and with the right lights, the Spirit is going to come and bless everybody. And everybody going to be healed, and everybody going to be changed, and everybody going to be great. And the amazing thing is, the Spirit give you manifestation that it ain't Him working. How He do it? Because you can be in that atmosphere, you can feel it, and you get moving and laying hands, and you're on the ground shaking, and all the power and everything going. Then as soon as you get up and make it back home, you're doing the exact same thing that you was just praying and pleading and crying to God about the change. So whatever came on you, because the spirit is a person. The spirit has purpose. The spirit moves. He wills. He desires. He do things for reasons, not just for show. The spirit don't just create fireballs just so you can say we had a fireball in our prayer time. No. The spirit moves according to his will, according to his purpose, because he's a real person that cannot be manipulated, that cannot be put in the right code, and then do you get all the spirit. No, he's a real person. So you have to develop relationship with him. You have to go to him on his terms, in his way, doing things as he desires and understanding that he is a real person. Watch this this is something we don't talk about too often. Go to Romans chapter 15. Talking about that the Spirit wills, He decides, He chooses. Romans chapter 15. It says, This Paul, in one of his closings, said, Now I beseech you, brethren, for Jesus Christ, for Jesus' sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me. In prayers to God for me. So he beseeched them. For the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. And for the love of the spirit. So he beseeching them before the love of the spirit. But the thing I want to point out in there. Is the thing we don't often talk about. Is the love of the spirit. So the spirit chooses. The spirit decides. The spirit does according to his own will. And the spirit loves. And this is something we understand. That love is not purely an emotion. Love is not purely a feeling. Love is a will, is a decision. Like I said, we understand the love of the Father in that he bankrupt heaven, in a sense, to send the Son. Yeah, that's the love of God. 
We understand the love of the son and because in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He sacrificed himself for us when we did not deserve it. But we don't too much talk about the love of the spirit. We don't too much talk about the way that the spirit expresses love to us. But if you pay attention to the love of the father, you understand it to be an act. It's something that the father did to express love to us. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. And you understand the love of the son and the fact that it was a sacrifice. It was an act. He gave up his life. He humbled himself, became a man so that we can be reconnected with the father. But we don't too tough talk about the love of the spirit. We only talk about the love that the spirit produces in us, not that the love that the spirit has for us or the love that comes from the spirit or the love that the spirit displays because the spirit is a real person, which means he show love. You understand what I'm saying? And if you think about it, how does the spirit show love? Because he's a real person. And we talked about he has real emotions. He is grieved. He gets vexed. He gets frustrated. He can be disrespected. But yet and still, he continues and he abides and he draws. That's love. That you can disrespect me. You can mistreat me. You can grieve me, completely ignore me, and that the Spirit consistently calls you back. The Spirit consistently getting that voice that Isaiah was talking about. You hear a voice saying, this is the way, walk you in it. You continually hear that. You continually hear the call and you continually hear the tug of the spirit. Jesus said the spirit is going to come and he's going to convict the world of sin. And we see that conviction within our heart. That is the love of the spirit trying to get us back to the place where we need to be with the father. But the spirit love, he chooses to do so. Hebrews chapter four, chapter three said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart as the children in the provocation. Let us know that it's a possibility that you won't hear it. And we already seen that the spirit does as he wills. He calls, he pleads according as he wills. So it's a possibility that the spirit can say, I ain't convicting that joker. Let them go on in their wretchedness. Let them go on in their sin. You, you understanding what I'm saying? But the spirit still chooses to demonstrate love to us in pleading with us, in drawing us, in convicting us, in showing us our sinfulness, in showing us our weakness, showing us our failure, in exalting Christ before us. Because he loves us. Not just God the Father loves us, not just God the Son loves us, but the Spirit has love as well. Because the Spirit is a person. Y'all understand what I'm saying? He's not a force. He's not a power. He's not just some emanation. He's not just something we can feel. He's not just displayed when good music is played, but he is a real person. And he has love. Let's look at this other one. Go back to Acts chapter 13. We'll point it out from there. Well, now go to Acts chapter 8. We'll use another. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 29. Said, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. So the Philip, I mean, the Spirit said to Philip, Go nigh and join thyself to this chariot. Go to Acts chapter 10, verse 19. 
Acts chapter 10, verse 19. It says, While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. So the Spirit is doing what in these verses? Talk. The Spirit is communicating. So Spirit said to Philip. Philip was on his way. He was going somewhere. Then the Philip, then the Spirit told him, go over to the chariot. Peter was up praying. He saw a vision. He was trying to understand the vision. Then the Spirit started talking to him. And we saw in Acts chapter 13 when they was praying and they was fasting. The Spirit just spoke and told them, separate to me Barnabas and Paul. So this shows us that the Spirit communicates. So the Spirit thinks, he understands, he emotes, he has emotions, he get hurt, he get grieved, he has a will, he decides, he chooses, and he also communicates. The Spirit speaks, the Spirit talks. Go to uh, first, Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians thirteen, I think it is. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Say, so all the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the love of God in the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So this is Paul praying. This is his closing. Say, so the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the love of God in the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Now just think about this for a second. Say, so the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How often do you think Paul want the grace of God to be with us? All the time. Always. The grace of Christ be with you. How many of us need the grace of Christ? Everybody. That's why he said it be with all of you. Then he talks about the love of God. This love that, that he when he humbles himself and he comes down to us and and do things on our behalf, our benefit, show us his goodness, even though we don't deserve it. This love, he said, the love of God be with you all. How often do we need the love of God? Always, because we can only love him because he first loved us, and so on and so forth. How many of us need the love of God? Everybody. So that's why he said, be with you all. Now we get to this last one, and things get a little confusing. Because there are some people who are going to tell you that the communion of the Holy Spirit don't quite work the way it used to work. Like the Holy Spirit has switched up his tactics. Because we read Philip was walking and the Holy Spirit what said to Philip. Peter had a vision, could not understand it. Then the Holy Spirit said to Peter. The apostles were praying. Then the Holy Spirit said to them. And if we read throughout the book of Acts, you'll see a whole lot of times where the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit did. When they was debating, when they came to their conclusion in Acts 15, James said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit for us to do this and that. So that makes me think that a part of the reason they reached their conclusion is because the Holy Spirit has some input on that. And now when Paul saying the communion of the Holy Spirit, the sharing, the fellowship, of the Holy Spirit be with you all, amen. There's some people that's going to tell you that the Spirit don't quite work the way it used to. That God don't speak to people no more like he used to speak to people. That it didn't change. 
But I have the question. Why do we believe that? For the people who try to make us believe, why do we believe it? Why do we think that I can't be like Peter and get a vision and be praying and the Spirit speak to me and tell me what the vision is? Why can't I be walking on my way just like Philip and the Spirit speak to me and tell me, hey, go over there? Why can't God have a divine purpose for me and we're in the midst of the congregation and the Spirit speak up and say, do this and do that and do the other? There is no scriptural reason for us to believe that. And if we take Paul's prayer as it is, that the communion of the Holy Ghost, the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, be with everybody, that means it's open to us all. That the same spirit that spoke to Peter, the same spirit that spoke to Philip, the same spirit that spoke to Elijah, to Moses, and so on and so forth, dwells within us, and we have access to communion with that spirit. And it's to the same degree or with the same desire as the grace of God and the love of God. So just like I always have access to the grace of God, I'm always living and abiding in the love of God. I always have fellowship with the spirit of God. So the spirit is here with me and he's a real person. I was thinking, I was talking to a young man at work. Troubled young man and going through some things, trying to figure out life. And he wanted to have a sit-down, one-on-one talk. Made me miss Bible study Wednesday. Because he just, he just kept going and on. But he made the statement. He's like, man, I, I, I sort of believe in God. I sort of believe in the Bible. But I be praying. And I be praying and praying and stuff don't happen. You know what I'm saying? My, my grandma got this and I pray. And I don't, I don't really see nothing, man. So I, I don't know. Now I ask him this question. Like, why do you pray? And that question took him for a loop. Like, because I'm supposed to pray. I don't understand. Why do you pray? Why is it that you pray? Because I want things to change. I understand that. Why do you pray? Then as he thought about it, he realized the only reason he prayed because he thought that's what he was supposed to do. I'm like, well, that's wrong. Then I asked him, when you get a phone call, do you call your grandma? Like, yeah. Why you call your grandma? It's like, because that's my grandma. I love her. I want to talk to her. I want to make sure she's doing all right. So you call your grandma because of love, but you talk to God because of obligation. Then he thought about it. I guess so. Like, we supposed to pray because we love God? Like, that's how you commune with a person. That's why you commune with a person. And that's what we have to understand, that this communion of the Holy Ghost is a fellowship that we have with a real person. So when we go to commune with God, when we go to have fellowship with the Holy Ghost, and when we think about this, let's detach it from our mind that we're looking for an experience, an enveloping, a shaking, some goosebumps and pimples and all that type of stuff, but that we are entering into fellowship with a real person. That there's a union, there's a communion, there's a sharing that goes on. And sometimes when you go to be with some people, you just go to be with them. Anybody ever experienced that? You got your granny, your auntie, your um, some of the old folks that you don't quite know that well. And you go and you be over their house and you just sit there. And you sit. Saying you sitting there with grandma, she 
barely got teeth in her mouth. Watching Jessica Fletch. <laughs> Old folks understand. <laughs> well, she's just sitting there watching Jessica Fletch. You ain't too much saying nothing. Beyond how you doing? Yeah, yeah, that's good. And you can sit there for hours. And when it's time to get up and go, Grandma has such delight in their heart. I'm so glad you came to see them. And it's genuine. You genuinely see the smile and the expression on their face. They, they are delighted that you came. Even though you ain't do nothing but just sit there. And halfway look at Jessica Fletcher. Why? Because people like to be in the company of people that they love. There's union, there's communion, there's a sharing, there's a fellowship that takes place just because they like you. So just because you they big head grandbaby, you showing up brings delight to them. And it makes them happy. You ain't brought nothing. You ain't did nothing. You ain't told no jokes. Probably ate up their food. But they're happy. And there's a joy that they experience because there's a fellowship, there's a relationship that they desire to have you in their midst. Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit is a real person. So there's a union, there's a communion that we have to seek to cultivate. Because you're dealing with a person. So you can go in his presence and just be there. Just acknowledge the fact that he is there, that he's real, that he's with you. And he'll take delight in that. You can go to him and you can talk to him. And you should want to go to him and talk to him because there's communion, there's union there. And you should expect some time for him to talk back. Because he's a person, there's fellowship. He is real. Like I said, it's not just a force. It's not just a power. It's not just the energy, our emotions. We are dealing with a real person who desires to commune with us. And this is part of the benediction of Paul. Let the communion of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit always be with you all. So who has access to this fellowship? Everybody. It ain't just for the apostles. It ain't just for the super deep Christians. It ain't just for the people who reach a certain level of power and anointing. It's for everybody who names the name of Jesus. Because the Spirit is a real person who loves his people and he desires fellowship and communion with you. Y'all, it makes sense to you. So this is our understanding and we're going to spring forward from here to try to understand the Spirit. But this is the first thing we got to get in mind. That the Spirit is a person. He has wills. He has an emotion. He get upset. He get grieved. You can disrespect him. You can blaspheme him. That he has <clears throat> uh, intellect, he understands, he knows, he decides, and he loves, he chooses to do so. But also he speaks, he fellowships, he communes, he unions with people because he is a real person. All the signs of, of personality is displayed within the spirit of God because he's not just a force, but he's a real person. So that means when we come to him, understand and know that you're coming to a person. And so you have to treat him with respect. Understand and know that a person coming to dwell and live inside of you. So you have to treat them with respect. And anytime you got a real person that you respect and honor coming to be with you, there's a sensitivity in you about not disrespecting this person. 
Let me give you an example of what I mean. Like those of you who like the, the bass and the bang and the boogie, saying that's that what you be banging and you turn it up real loud when you drive, getting down, boom, 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 808s pumping. That's how you ride. Then you go pick up your mama. What you do? Turn that thing down. <laughs> what does she have to say to get you to do it? Nothing. It's because you understand you know she don't like it like that. So based on your relationship with her, you make adjustments in yourself to respect the presence. You, you get what I'm saying? You don't need no revelation. Mama ain't got the force. She ain't got to threaten to pull out no belt. But based on your relationships, you make adjustments in yourself to respect her presence. Because there's certain things you will not do. There's certain things you won't allow to happen just because mama read that. You say when you were young and dumb, you had your friends, everybody fussing and cussing and talking crazy. And you realize your mama in the back. Y'all been fussing and cussing and talking crazy all weekend. But then as soon as one of them say crazy, you be about ready to slap. Hey man, cut that out. Mama in there. <laughs> mama ain't got to say it. Mama ain't got to do it. But based on the respect of her presence, you automatically make adjustments. It's because you do not want to anger, you do not want to disrespect, and you seek to honor them. So you're conscious of what may cause grief or what may cause discomfort or what may cause some type of angst within the person that you respect. So you automatically make adjustments. And you're conscious of this stuff. So when we say that the person of the spirit is coming reside within us, that the person of the spirit dwells with us, we need to do the same thing that we would do for people that we respect on this planet. We should be willing to make adjustments. And it's bigger than right and wrong. It's about respect. You understanding what I'm saying? Because is it wrong for you to play your music all out? No. It's your car. You bought the songs, I hope. And they coming to ride with you. Now, when it's your little homeboy, you would say the same thing. Hey, man, you don't control none of this. You ride. So you are doing nothing wrong if you decide to play your music and let it boom and let it bang. But yet and still, you see something wrong in playing your music and let it boom and let it bang. Why? Because you respect the person. And so we need to develop that consciousness when we're thinking about the spirit. And get beyond what's right and get beyond what's wrong and get into true fellowship and union and communion with the spirit. We shouldn't be asking, well, is it okay for Christians to whatever, whatever, whatever? I understand on a certain level to that. It's some stuff we have to wrestle to. But our input or our understanding or our conviction about it should go deeper than is it wrong? Just because can't nobody tell us you're wrong for doing whatever, 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 that don't give you license to do so because you are in relationship, you are in fellowship with a person. 
you, you get what I'm saying? And so there's certain things we cannot do just because of who we connected to. It's bigger than right and wrong. It's bigger than laws and rules and regulations. It's about fellowship. It's about union. It's about communion. So some things the spirit ain't got to tell me. I'm going to do it just because of who he is. And there's certain things I ain't going to listen to just because of who I'm connected to. That makes sense to you. Like you can make the most banging song about how artists are lazy bums who are ignorant and crazy. And they can have the best beat. They can have the the, 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 the finest lyrics and everything put together. I ain't going to like it. Know why I ain't going to like it? Because my daddy was an artist. And I ain't finna let you sit there and disrespect my daddy. And no matter how much I like the song, no matter how good it make me feel because it disrespect my father, I don't like it. So when I hear it on say, ain't nothing wrong for me listening with song talking about it. No, it's bigger than right and wrong. You get what I'm saying? But we have this respect for other things. We have to develop this consciousness for the spirit. Because some of you so sensitive that you get self-conscious when you go into McDonald's with an Arby's bag. <laughs> and some of you are crazy enough to ask the question, they going to let me bring this in? <laughs> they going to let me bring this in? <laughs> Still because you got a bag from another store. Because you know that they beefing. <laughs> Burger King and McDonald's don't bang together so you self conscious when you walk up into a McDonald's with a Burger King bag but when those who are beefing with our father in the spirit of God that dwells inside of us do things make things and celebrate things contrary to him we don't got that same type of tenderness you get what I'm saying but we need to understand that we're dealing with a person a person that can be grieved, a person that can be hurt, a person that can be angered, but he's also a person that loves and a person that desires and delights in union and communion with you. So let's cultivate that relationship. Let's cultivate that communion with the real person that is truly God. Anybody got any questions? Um, I know you said that the what well, the Bible said that um he gave us the Holy Spirit as a comforter, as an advocate for us. Mm -hmm. So when we reject it, do we still have it or like how does that work? Because we can reject the like different in different ways. That's when you reject him. There's a sense in what that what Paul was warning against. He said, grieve not the Holy Spirit. And in Colossians, it warns us against quenching the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible isn't as black and white as people like to make it seen on this issue. Go to, let me sh sh show you this little funny thing. Revelation. Revelations chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 20. 
He said, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. He said, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest of the seven churches. This is Revelation 1.20. So it say, this picture of Jesus, he got holding the candlesticks in his hand. He said, the seven candlesticks which you saw are the seven churches. So where are the seven candlesticks? They're in the hand of Jesus, if you read back. So he got them. Got the whole world in his hand. So these they're in his possession. Now go to chapter 2. Just for time, skip down to verse 5. It said, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So the picture in Revelation chapter 1 is, Jesus, he got these seven churches. They are part of his, his branch. They're part of his life. So they got the stars, they're the candlesticks. But in this warning to these churches, they're living in a place where he ain't pleased with them. And he, he warned them, he calling them to repentance. And then in his final warning, he said, repent and do the first works or else I will remove thy candlestick. So what I reach in this period is there's a period of mercy to where in some sense, they are still a part of the church of God. But there is also a call of repentance, where in a sense they're not. Because if they die as they are, they will be removed. You get what I'm saying? So to be as black and white like, I'm in church, I'm out church. I'm in, I'm out. Feel with the spirit, not feel with the spirit. The Bible don't paint that picture that clear. But what the Bible does show is that when we resist, when we reject the spirit of God, that he is a person. So there are times where he pleads, where he prods, where he calls, where he seeks to draw people back unto himself. Now, how does that relate as an in or out or field or unfield? The Bible don't make that clear. But if you're rejecting him, if you're not living in proper fellowship and union and communion with him, you have no hope of being with him. You get what I'm saying? So whether or not he's in or out on field or unfield ain't even up for debate. If I'm walking with him, I'm filled with him, he's controlling me, I am his son. If I'm not, I'm not his son. Those are, should be our only words. So if I'm rejecting the grace of God, or if I see within myself something that shows that I'm not believing in God, I need to quickly repent humble myself and cry out to God for mercy and his grace to change me. And that should be my only concern. Just like I said, you're dealing with a person. So people have patience. People are merciful. People love people. So just like if she dish you, you don't immediately cut her off. If you truly love her, you're going to reach out and say, hey, what's going on? Why we got this problem? Let's work this out. And if she continue to dish you, then you get to the point where you greed and you hurt and you can't continue on. You get what I'm saying? It makes sense to you. Yes. Yeah, so if field, unfield, save, not save, those ain't the questions that the Bible asks. Are we walking in fellowship and communion? Yay or nay? That's where we stand. So like I said, that picture, the candlestick is in his hand, but he told him, unless you repent, I'm going to remove it. So that shows a, 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 a period of grace, a period of mercy. In the sense that he's showing grace by calling them and calling them to repentance. He's showing mercy by giving them that opportunity. He's showing he ain't pleased because he threatened them that, hey, if you don't change, it's over with. All right.
what's the difference between trying to manipulate the spirit and just con- strong petition and pursuing and you know p- petitioning him for what you want versus uh trying to manipulate and get something from him? The difference would be trying to think a, a a good picture to show it. But the main difference would be that trying to manipulate the spirit would be going in means other than what he's prescribed to get something that you desire. It's just like when you manipulate people, you're trying to use something other than the straight will or the desire of the person to accomplish your task. Like, well, I know Justin don't want to do it. I'm trying to figure out a way to trick you to do it. But when we're just petitioning God, when we're pleading with him, we, we're having a relationship. And that's what he calls us to do. He said, if you desire something, you ask. I'm saying those who seek after me will find me. They seek me with their whole heart. So this is the way, the means by which he set it up. So I'm, 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 I'm relating to him according to his way, according to his purpose. But the manipulation aspect, a lot of what I have in mind when I say that is using certain things that we think guarantees something from God. You, you get what I'm saying? It's like certain, you, if you pray and you pray it this way, then you know automatically it's going to happen. No, God is not like that. It's just like your kids. Sometimes they keep asking, they keep asking, and you just, you break, and, <laughs> and you give to them. But there's no special way that guarantees every time you say it just like this, with these words and this sentence and this cadence, dad is going to do it. It don't matter what it is. All you got to do is do it just like this. And that's part of the manipulation is trying to construct a means other than the means prescribed to get something from God. That, that, that makes sense to you. Anybody got any other questions? Go ahead. Is, is a musician a gift of God? And if so, uh, is there a responsibility to set the presence of the Holy Spirit? How they talk about in songs. So is a musician a gift of God? That, and we're going to get into this when we go a little bit more, that there are certain things that God anoint people that we would call skills and giftings, that the Bible clearly shows that this person got this because of the work of the Spirit on them. But purely in and of itself, not necessarily. So it's possible for you to be a good musician and not be filled with the Spirit of God, if, if, if I'm understanding your question right. And is it their job to set the presence of God? No. Because the presence of God is God. So what musicians can do is allow us or help us to zone in and to focus on God. Because it, it, because music evokes emotions. Music creates thoughts. So it can allow us to tune in and to set our minds on him. But the music in and of itself does not set the presence of God. And how do you know this? It's because God moves and operates in the lives of people. And in that quote unquote presence that people have, you can experience it in a stump clap church. You can experience it in a church like the Quakers. 
they have this time with quiet time. And when they enter into church, they just sit there for an hour. Nobody says anything. Nobody does anything. They just sit there and quietly pray and set their mind on God. Do I think the Spirit of God can show up in that? Yes, because he told you. You meditate on him. So the music in and of itself does not draw the presence of God, but it draws our minds, it evokes our emotions to expressions. And also another way you can see it is because if you go to the back porch of some old dark-skinned lady house who just had a couple Budweiser's, and you let boom, 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 boom. that's all you need. <laughs> what they gonna do? Ah! <laughs> the exact same expression you get in church when certain chords or tunes are played. That's because music evokes emotions. <laughs> but emotion itself is not necessarily the spirit of God. If you get what I'm saying. So can music be used to carry me into the presence of God? Yes, in a sense, because music carried my mind to focus on God. So I can hear certain tunes that, that put my mind in a certain place. And also music evoke emotions that allow me to express my, my love and my devotion to God. <clears throat> and that's what God delights in. But just because a song sounds a certain way, has a certain chord, has a certain feel to it, that don't mean that God is in it and he's using it. Does that answer your question? Anybody got any other question? I guess that's it. All yours.